So we're continuing in our series, Seeking, where we're looking at those practices that we can put into our life that will bring us closer to God. And so as a church, we want to be pursuing a deeper relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? We know to be able to do that, that there are practices that we can include in our daily lives that will help us in this desire. These disciplines are what we built this series around. Now today, we're going to do the message a little different for you. Typically, if you've heard me speak before or some of our other uh, speakers here, we, we do it in a certain order. Oftentimes, we talk about a topic, right? We start addressing that, and then we end up landing kind of in the same spot, in a similar place, the love and grace of Jesus Christ. That's where we end up because we see that as the most important thing to talk about in every message, we come into a place where we emphasize that Jesus is the answer, that he is the example, the truth for everything that we are dealing with in this world. Now, that love and grace of Jesus, that narrative of Jesus' life, that's the gospel of Jesus. That's what we call that. It's the good news of what Jesus is for us. And so today, we're going to start the message in that place. Because maybe you're new to faith. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you, you don't know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you're watching online this morning and, and we want to welcome you or you're watching later in the week. Thank you for watching. And, and you're just not sure that you know what all this Jesus stuff is all about. Or maybe you're someone who's been coming to church or had a relationship with God for a long time, maybe even your whole life. And you need to be reminded of what Jesus did for you. Wherever you find yourself this morning on that spectrum, I want to share with you the good news of what Jesus did. The reality is, and this is the truth, we are all sinners. We have all messed up. We've all done things that do not meet the original plan of what God had in store for us. We have pride, anger, lust, sexual immorality, lying, stealing. We cheated. We killed, right? That's just naming a few. There's a bunch of them. There is a depravity in our nature. Our flesh wants to care about one thing and one thing only. Us. Ourselves. We are inherently selfish as a result. And the truth is, if we're left to our own devices, our lives would be filled with pain and anxiety and depression and struggle. And we wouldn't know how to deal with those things. We would be doomed to an eternal punishment and a separation from God. In Romans, Paul, who was a, a Jesus follower, right? He said this. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So he says, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. And then three chapters later, he says, and for the wages of sin is death. There's what you do. There's the punishment. Now, some of you are thinking right now, maybe you're watching online, and you're thinking, boy, this is a really uplifting message, <laughs> right? Thanks a lot, Chris. I was having a good morning, and then you told me I'm a terrible person, right? I realize it's not all fun. It's hurtful. It's dark. It's a lonely thing. Yet that's not the conclusion to our story. Remember, we're starting today's message at the end of the story. You see, the end of the story is that we have a Savior, God, in his ultimate love for us, sent his son, Jesus, to earth. Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man, humbled himself 
and came down and lived a life with us. He experienced things that we experienced. He felt things that we felt, and yet he lived a perfect life. He lived the life only worthy of God, the only life that ever existed that was worthy of God. Yet, Jesus chose to take the sacrifice that we all deserved. He chose to face death on a cross, to be punished for the mistakes that we make. So why did he do this? Maybe, maybe you believe that it was because God was angry, right? Maybe God was angry with our mistakes, right? And, and he got fed up with what we were doing. And he's like, listen, the only way I can fix this is to send someone who can take the punishment. That's not it. That's not why God did this. Look at what Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Ephesus, okay? In Ephesians, he said this. As for you... And again, he's reminding them what he reminds us in Romans. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. That's good. That is good stuff. It wasn't anger or frustration that led God to this place to send Jesus. It was love. It was mercy. God loves us so much. He wants to be with us so much that he did the only thing he could. He sent his son to take our place, to die for us. He saw all of our sin, all of our pain, all of our selfishness, and he took it upon himself to pave the way to grace and forgiveness. Jesus knew that he could take all this darkness on, he could absorb all of this so that he could then heal it and forgive it and redeem it. We get to have a path to full life in Jesus. Understanding who we are, who he made us to be, our mission, our, our, our purpose. He paved the way for us to get to the Father. We're forgiven. Now, forgiveness is something that we all need. We crave it. It redeems us to know that we are forgiven, right? Sometimes we see that forgiveness as something... We ultimately receive in the future, right? That like Jesus did that, but maybe I'm not going to get that forgiveness right away. And it'll happen when that time comes that I'm face to face with God, right? And so as a result, sometimes we hang on to our past until that future promise. So I want to talk about something that's counter to that. And this leads to the discipline that we're going to talk about today, confession. And our big idea around this topic is this, confession leads to freedom, now, confession is a discipline that will draw you close to the very center of, the God, of God's heart, okay? It's honest, it's real, it requires us to get a little uncomfortable. On the other side of that discomfort, though, I want you to know there is a tremendous experience of freedom. 
Now, confession is most often pictured with a priest in a confessional booth. That's, that's we've seen movies and television shows. That's what you've seen. Maybe you even grew up in a tradition where that was a practice. That's not the confession we read about in the Bible. It's not the confession that those who knew Jesus wrote about. Maybe for some of you, confession is a very scary practice, which is probably why it's not a really um, popular one. We don't do confession a lot. It invokes in us strong feelings of guilt and shame. Now, when I was a kid, maybe seven, maybe even younger, I, I don't remember exactly how old I was, I got this wild hair, I mean, I was six or seven years old, I got this wild hair, as kids do, okay, any parents in the room, this is a, something a, a kid would do, uh, I cut holes in my shirt. I don't know. I mean, I really don't have any concept of why I did this. I have no idea why. It's kids, right? But I did it. And my dad saw, and he got upset. He was like, why are there holes in your shirt? And he asked me what happened. And you know what I did? I lied. I mean, I just immediately lied. I said that this kid who lived behind me, his name was Luke, he did it. <laughs> now, here's the real thing. Luke was kind of a wild kid. And so it didn't, wasn't far-fetched for Luke to like have held me down and cut my shirt, right? And so I thought that that would get me off the hook and that I would be, and that would be the end of it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'd be fine. Now listen, if there's any young people in here right now, kids, if you're in here, even teenagers, listen to me, your parents are not dumb, okay? They're like, oh, okay, you never did it, okay, I'll let it go. They're, they know how these things work, okay? And so, but I still had a lot of guilt. I felt guilty about it. And it kind of ate at me, even as a small child, right? Now, I can only assume that my dad went to the neighbor's house and talked to the parents. Because in turn, they asked Luke, I'm guessing, and he said, I didn't do that, right? Now, I can only assume this because I wasn't with him, because my dad came back to me and said, hey, you sure that's true? You want to double check that story? And I like immediately caved as well. I was like, that's just not lied. I did it. I cut it. I thought it would be fun. I don't know why. That's relief. It was relief when I told him because I'd owned up to the lie. But my, my dad didn't let it go there. My dad actually walked me over to my neighbor's house and made me confess to Luke and his parents that I had lied about it. It was embarrassing. Ouch is right. Yeah. And it was really awkward. I mean, if I have to confess things now, it's awkward. Imagine me at six, right? Now, these were Christians, too, actually. These were Christian people. They, they actually were, like, missionaries and did some work around the area. And I thought, I was, I thought they were going to, like, dress me down, right? They were going to pull the Bible out and tell me how I was such a sinner for doing this. Yet that's not what happened. They accepted my apology. They forgave me, and we moved on. Now, I felt a weight lift off of me in that moment, right? I felt this... Just all this pressure come off of me. Have you ever been in that moment where you've had this guilt and this pressure from something that's been, you haven't told people or you've been hiding and you tell and you confess it and that weight, this wave of relief just comes over you. Confession leads to freedom. See, we have this picture of confession as a formal event, right? We've done in a priest with a particular place. We have a picture of this extreme feeling of shame awaiting this punishment by another person or even by an angry finger-pointing God. 
And so if that's your idea of confession, I want you to hear me. I need you to ask you to do something right now. I, I need you to kill that idea right now. Kill it, bury it, never go back to it. We're gonna, if we want to experience freedom today through confession, we need to have a funeral for the idea that we have of confession. We need to let it go. Now, James, he, James was the brother of Jesus, okay? And he wrote a book of the Bible. And in it, he talks about, to the other community of believers, how we're to, to interact with each other and care for each other. And so if you would, if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn with me to James chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible or a Bible app, I'd love for you to turn there. Listen, if you don't have a Bible today after service, just go out to the hub and pick a Bible up. We want you to have one. But the, the words will be up on the screen here this morning with me as I read, but we'd like for you to take a Bible as a gift from us, okay? And in James chapter 5, it talks about how he, he's, he's going to share something here, and we're going to pick up in verse 13, and I want you to read this with me. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. And so James is kicking off this section of, of the, 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 the letter he wrote by pointing out that what we're called to do for each other. We're supposed to pray for each other. We talked about the importance of prayer earlier in the series. If you weren't here for that, go back and listen to week one about prayer, okay? We need to pray for each other as well. Just, we need to sing together, right? We need to pray for healing. James is pointing to all kinds of situations that we're going to be in as a community, whether we're happy or sad, in need. We need to pray and be there for each other. That's not surprising to anyone, right? Like as a community of people, we should be there. It seems pretty straightforward that we should do that. And the truth is we need to be praying for each other's forgiveness. Yet James goes on here in verse 16, said, Therefore, okay, and he said all this, and so he says, here's the point. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he gives an example. He said, Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and then the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is making a clear point here. He's saying that as a community, it is our job to pray for each other. And pray for many things, and forgiveness is one of those things. That's a challenge, because many of us, we see forgiveness as only coming from Jesus, right? And if you feel that way, you're right. It is true. That's why James references Elijah here. He's saying Elijah was a human being. He was just a man, yet through prayer, he was able to control the weather. Listen, that's not something a human can do on their own. If it was, we wouldn't have snow in Ohio, because I would be praying against it. They need God. So why is James telling us this? He's pointing to the power of prayer for each other. He's stating that through prayer, we can grant the act of forgiveness that Jesus gave us on the cross to other people. We're not the one doing the forgiving, okay? 
That's God. We're the ones reminding them of the forgiveness that Jesus already gave. We are praying that they would be healed and that they could mend the brokenness in their lives. Confession leads to freedom. But we can't pray for that if we don't confess to each other. If we don't share the problems that we're having with other people, it's not possible. So why is confession such a scary thing, right? Because we often view, as a people, we view the believing community as a community of saints as opposed to a community of sinners. And so because of this, we see everyone as more advanced, right? They're farther ahead of me in their faith. And that leaves us feeling isolated and alone in our sins. We don't want to share our faults and sins with others because we believe ourselves to stand alone in those shortcomings. We don't measure up to where everyone else is on the road to heaven, right? So as a result, we hide our sin. We don't tell people about it. The truth is actually that we are all sinners. I talked about it earlier, right? As a matter of fact, we are a community of sinners. I'm a sinner just like the rest of you. Something that you may not know about White Oak is one of our core values here is authenticity. We believe that we're not going to be pretend to something that we're not. And the truth, and so you will hear myself and Nathan and Kevin and others stand up here and admit to you that we make mistakes too. That some of the times these sermons that we preach, we're preaching to ourselves. Because I've messed up in my life, and I will do it in the future, I promise you. I want to be better, but I know that there are times that my flesh is weak. Listen, you are not alone in your sin. Someone, the issue that you have, someone in this room, someone watching online, someone has dealt with it. When we practice the act of confession, we are releasing a power that heals. Now, John, he, wrote, he was a follower of Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. He wrote uh, uh, some letters as well. And in one of them, in 1 John chapter 1, he says this. In 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, he says, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, this is great, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And look what he says there. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. To believe that there are people out there who are not dealing with the same issues and are not sinning is to minimize what Jesus did on the cross. We all need forgiveness. And look at what John says. It really encourages all of this. He says, if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Confession leads to freedom. And I also appreciate what John says at the end. It's, it's tough when he says it. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, 
we make him out to be a liar. And I take that a step further. If you refuse to confess your sins to one another, as we're called to do, then we're making God out to be a liar. And I don't want to call God a liar. I don't know about you. That's not something I'm going to do. So this week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe a first step for you is just to admit to God the sins that you've committed, right? right? Some of us have not yet even admitted that. And then maybe if your sin has been against someone or it could be damaging to a relationship, and I'm going to tell you the Bible makes it clear that you need to take that sin and you need to confess that to one that you've harmed. You need to tell them, just like my story with the neighbor earlier, right? You need to confess to them, confess to the person you've hurt, confess to the person you've lied to, Confess to the person you've gossiped about or the person that you hold jealousy towards. Confess. And then go and talk to a trusted friend. Talk to another believer, an elder. You can even come talk to me or Nathan, Kevin. Listen, some of you have been raised to believe that this can only happen by a priest or a leader of the church. And I'm just going to tell you, that's just not true. Actually, Peter himself wrote who again knew, was a disciple of Jesus, he said, listen, that we are a chosen people. He called us a royal priesthood, all of us. And so as a royal priesthood, Jesus calls us to forgive others. He said, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus himself said we are to forgive people. So bring your unconfessed sins, right, to someone that you trust and seek that forgiveness. And to help with this, I want to give you some practical steps because I think it's challenging if you've never done this before to work through this process. And so I want to give you a few practical steps. If you're going to take your confession, here are four things that I want you to note, okay? First is this, be specific. Invite God to move in your heart, right? Tell him to show you where you need forgiveness and healing. Identify both of the outward sins, right, the things that are clear, and even some of those inner struggles that are just happening inside your mind and your heart, right? Be specific. Say, I hurt this person with these words today. Be, tell them the details, because that will lead to inner healing in a way that just saying, oh, please forgive me for all the bad things I've done. That's not going to lead you to the place where you're starting to feel that freedom. Second thing is be sorrowful. This doesn't mean wallow in your sin. doesn't mean feel sorry for yourself. This means having a deep regret for having offended God. Feeling sorrow is an emotion, and it will take the sin, and it shows that you take that confession seriously. You should really feel regret for your behavior. I think we all know some behavior is wrong, even if we're not a believer, right? We know that there's certain behavior that's wrong. But listen, the world has convinced us that there's some behavior that's okay. I say, read this and trust what it tells you is good. Tell, trust what it tells you is right and wrong. Third thing is have a determination to avoid sin. The reason to engage in confession in the first place is because we want to be freed from that past sin. We want, we want to yearn for a holy life, right? And so after we confess our sin, we are called to like work towards not trying to do that anymore. Don't do that behavior that you confess. Take the practices that you need to do. See a counselor. Have some accountability. Do whatever it takes for you to kind of work through that problem. 
Because it involves you both choosing to live under God's authority and asking him for the desire and strength to do it. And the final thing I'll tell you about confession is you need to end that in joy. Listen, confession begins in sorrow. I mentioned it, right? But it ends in joy. You never have to make God forgive you. Isn't that great? You need to hear that. God's actually the one drawing you in. He wants to forgive you. God knows the power and the genuine life change that confession and forgiveness can give you, and he wants you to have it. He wants you to hear it. Confession shouldn't be about ongoing self-condemnation of like, I'm a terrible person. Confession begins with sorrow, but it ends with joy that that has been released. Now, some of you might receive a confession. Someone may come to you and say, hey, I need to, I need to confess something. And so I want to give you some pointers as well, because again, that's, that might be new for you. You may never have dealt with this before, and so there's some things that you need to be encouraged with going forward as well. The first one is this, be humble. Recognize that everyone is a sinner, including yourself, all of us. And so make no judgment on the sins that they're sharing with you. You're not the forgiver. Again, I'm pointing that out. You are simply the messenger that forgiveness is possible and that it is complete. And listen quietly. You don't need to respond to the sin being shared. You don't have to ask for more details. You also don't need to try to fix the person. You're not their counselor unless it's asked from you. This is where we get in trouble as believers, right? We are quick to try to fix the behavior rather than just listening with patience and love. And so as you listen, I just encourage you to be praying for them in your mind. Be praying that they share all they need to share to complete that healing. And that their heart is open to the forgiveness that God has for them. Third, keep their confidence. This is an important one. This is a sacred moment. You've been entrusted with the person's confession, and you need to honor that with absolute confidentiality. Now, I'm going to throw a caveat in here, okay? Sometimes someone may confess something to you that is putting themselves or others in danger, okay? And I know that our God does not want that. So it could be happening to them that's harmful to someone who can't protect themselves even. It could be something that's happening to a child. And so in those cases, I want you to be mindful of protecting those who cannot protect themselves. We're called to do that. And if those situations arise, hear me, our elders, our pastoral staff, they're here to provide resources. Be cautious, just keep it minimized to the people that you need to talk to about this. Finally, end with prayer. Let them know that they can have assurance that their sins have been forgiven. Pray for healing of those inner wounds. Pray for the wounds that they've done to others. And then pray for any next steps that need to be taken. Listen, I know that confession is a challenging discipline. It really is. Not because we don't believe we've messed up. I think we all know that. But because our guilt and shame cause us to want to hide that away. This is not what God wants for our lives. He wants us to live free of these feelings. He wants us to be forgiven. God is our father, right? He's like a shepherd, it says. He's willing to risk everything to find that one lost sheep. You don't have to make God want to forgive you. God is already willing and ready 
to forgive anything we bring before him. Yet we are called out of obedience to him, right? To ask for forgiveness from those in our community. Not just when we get caught in a lie or some other sin, like when I was a kid and I got caught, right? Not like that. If you've wronged someone, it's also important to apologize to them. But that's not just what this is about. We're called to take our sin, even that sin which is unseen and unknown to God, and then to another trusted friend or believer. Confession leads to freedom. It leads to redemption in our relationships, our work, our marriages, our schoolwork, and even in our walk with God. Confession gives us the ability to trust in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, right? By confessing our sins to each other, we are accepting that gift of God freely. We are saying we need Jesus' grace, and we all need Jesus. We need his love. We need his grace so that we can be given freedom from the bonds of sin in our lives. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we know we've messed up. We've made mistakes. And so, Lord, we come to you today and we just ask for forgiveness. Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength to take our confessions to those around us, those we trust, those friends in our lives who care for us, Lord. Help us to take those confessions so that we can experience the freedom from guilt and shame that you've promised us. Lord, you are a good shepherd and you've come after us even when we are lost. Even when just one is lost, you leave the others behind to find them. And so today, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that if there is anything standing between someone and you, that they would, that, that would be removed so that you could bring them back into your flock. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that made the way for this. We pray all this in his name.